So when I was growing up in high school, um, I became a major fan of the comedy group Monty Python. And, uh, you know, I started with uh, the classic Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And then because I wanted to know more about this crazy British group, I checked out, I think from Blockbuster, uh, this one that's titled, and now for something completely different. And that's like the catchphrase throughout the entire thing. That's not gonna be my catchphrase this morning, but we've been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to take a little break. Um, just, I think seasonally, we're just about to come into Advent and for the next couple of weeks, I think it's just good just to take a breath and then at the start of the new year, we'll go back into the Sermon on the Mount. So if you are sad about that, I'm sorry, come talk to me, but here we are. Uh, and so I would like to just say, and now for something completely different. So uh, before the days of streaming music uh, using iPods or MP3 players, CDs or cassette tapes, there stood a technology that played the soundtrack of at least three or four generations. And that technology was the record, the record player. I love this thing. When Angie and I first got married, I didn't own a record player. And so uh, I don't know what happened. I feel like I had one at one point and then I got rid of it. But through college, needed another one, starting off fresh, new life. And so I bought a Crosley five-in-one machine. And so not only does it play CDs, and tapes and it even has an audio jack for the mp3 players this was before the days when bluetooth was everywhere um, and it plays records and i love jazz music i also love rock but i love jazz especially and one of my favorite albums of all time is a love supreme by john coltrane and his crew there and so I just want to talk about the record for a moment. So the way a record works, I'm sure you all know, but you know, for the folks online or for the folks who maybe haven't experienced it in a while, so you take the record out, smell it if you want to. You don't have to, but that's all part of the experience, right? Um, and so you take it out and you, you have the record here and there's a couple of different parts to the experience. There's the record itself vinyl piece of glory right here um, and you put it onto the turntable that holds it on there and then you can lift it up this part is different on every machine but you start it and there's this little needle that goes down into the grooves that are on this wonderful ancient technology that makes it so that when you lower it down see how my depth perception is there we go you can hear Come on. Ah, oh, ooh, look at that amplification. You can hear the beautiful sounds of John Coltrane, unless you're Angie and she really doesn't like John Coltrane, but that's okay. Now, the really cool thing about a record though, so it's really great when it works like this, 
But then, if you want to stop the song, you don't have to press a button. All you got to do is raise the lever, and there it is. The music stops. Or you can try to connect it again, and it connects again, or it stops, or down. Now, you don't want to do that too much, or else you wear out the record. But um, some of you know what I'm talking about. And I feel like I'm preaching to the choir this morning with my, my record illustration. So anyway, we're, the really cool thing is that this is a really great picture of our connection with God. Uh, you can go to three slides from now. Boom, and next one. So the title for today's message, uh, especially as we think about coming to the table for communion, is connected, or you could expand it out and say connected with God. I don't know. Our passage is going to be John 15, 1 through 8, and the big idea that we're going to be exploring today is that we will thrive as we remain connected with Jesus. We will thrive as we remain connected with Jesus. So as we look to the scriptures this morning, I believe there's at least two questions that will help us as we look at what Jesus is going to say. So that we don't just hear it, but that we actually come to apply it to our heart and to our life. But those questions are, am I connected with Jesus? And if I am, then how do I remain connected with Jesus? Because ultimately, those two questions have the power to shape your life, and they have the power to shape mine as well. Am I connected? How do I remain connected with Jesus? So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John 15. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible today, that's okay. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you, or you can follow along on the screen as well. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but whatever translation you have is a-okay with me. I won't tell anybody. So here we go. John 15, 1. Jesus speaking to his disciples, saying, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, 
You are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Connected. So reading John 15 is kind of like being a fly on the wall in a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus was about 33 years old when this took place. It was at the time of Passover, and he was doing what most rabbis would be doing at that time. He was preparing the Passover meal for his disciples. They met in this upper room, which, and we normally call this conversation he had the Last Supper. Um, They didn't know it at the time, but it would be the Last Supper they would have with Jesus. Uh, And Jesus was having a meal with his disciples that called to memory the rescue that God had done for the people of Israel in rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. But unlike other rabbis, Jesus knew that he was about to lay down his life on the cross and rescue all of humanity out of slavery to sin. With how soon this took place in relation to the cross and that moment where Jesus gave up his life for us, Jesus was giving his disciples his closing remarks, a final pep talk before things were about to get really hard, before he would be arrested, imprisoned, slandered, scorned, and shamed, and beaten, and scourged, and ultimately dying the death on the cross, which means that these words carry a lot of weight, do they not? There's a lot of gravity to what Jesus is saying to his disciples, who are completely oblivious to this happening, but he wasn't, and he knew that there were some things that they needed to know before he was going to go to the cross to die in their place. And it's during this lengthy talk that he uses a metaphor to describe the nature of his relationship with his disciples and, by extension, you and I today as we are followers of Jesus, as we claim the name of Christ. So, without further ado... There are at least two key lessons we learn from this passage. Number one is that our nourishment is the words of Jesus. Um, I know that uh, in the New Living Translation it said that uh, you've already been purified by the message that I've given you. Other translations say the word I have spoken to you. And so the words of Jesus. In Scripture we're reminded that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and that his ways are higher than our ways. We're also reminded, like Jesus said uh, in the desert, that uh, from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And the claim of Scripture, all of Scripture, is that the Word of God brings us health and vitality in ways that no other source can. So how can that be? Because Jesus Christ, God's word made flesh, as it says in John chapter 1, all things were made with, or all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus spoke, and he gave application for the word of God, and his teaching was like spiritual food for the disciples to help them grow on their journey of faith. So let's unpack the imagery here that Jesus used in his conversation. He gives this beautiful and sobering picture of a vine and its branches that's being tended to by a gardener. If we were to look at a grapevine today, we would see it coming up from the ground. Some of you may have grapes at your house. That's cool. Um, I don't, but that's awesome. And uh, so you have the vine growing up from the ground, and then shooting off from the vine are all these branches, and on those branches you have fruit, right? One of the clearest ways to know whether a branch is healthy in season, right, is that it bears fruit. You see fruit on that, uh, that branch, and inside that fruit you have seeds, um, that hold the exact DNA makeup of the vine that makes it possible to reproduce that life and identity of the vine, right? So by Jesus calling himself the true vine, he's using that metaphor, he is the vine, he puts himself in the place of being the spiritual source of nourishment and of identity for the disciples who are connected to him. So going on, Jesus talks about God the Father as the gardener, um, tending to the vine and its branches, and just like a gardener is intimately involved in the development of a vineyard and with the vine and its branches, God is present and active in how his disciples grow spiritually. And within the metaphor, the divine gardener's goal is maximum fruit production right amen let's let's make that grape juice or whatever we're making from those grapes and to achieve this goal he does two things to make sure this happens in our passage he removes the unfruitful branches the unhealthy ones and he prunes all the others and this is where the picture gets really real does it not because is Jesus saying what we think he might be saying? When we read this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, we could just focus on the good parts and ignore the harder parts. But if we did that, then we get, wouldn't get the full revelation of what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. We have a contrast between two different kinds of branches ones that bear fruit and remain in the vine and those that do not bear fruit and are removed and cut off completely. The branch that is pruned remains and abides for most of the year and the vine grows around it and the, the branches of that pruned branch, it, it grows out rapidly again at, in season and it bears much fruit again but the branch that's removed from the vine withers and dies and eventually gets burned in a fire. The truth is, branches need the vine to be healthy and to grow. That's why Jesus makes the statement to his disciples, remain in me 
and I will remain in you. It's a reciprocal relationship there. Connection to the source vine is vital for the branch to be sustained and thrive as a healthy and growing branch. So like our big idea for today, we find we will thrive as we remain connected with Jesus. The second thing we learn from our passage is that the evidence is to look like Jesus. So spelled out, either in black and white in some Bibles and red and white in others, Jesus says that it's this way, it's this whole dynamic of pruning and cutting and tending and vine and branches so that the disciples would bear much fruit. He's not trying to say basically that, well, if you are not bearing fruit, then there's nothing we can do for you. But he is saying that you need to be connected to the vine or else you won't bear much fruit. And in that place of abiding with Jesus, what our lives produce reveals the identity, that DNA makeup, the identity of who we are in constant connection, relationship with. And our fruit becomes our testimony. Now, I'm not talking, just in case you're wondering, and we're not just as a full disclaimer, I'm not talking about works that we do per se. Like, I do this good deed and it makes, makes for good fruit or something. I think what Jesus is talking about is actually a core heart character thing. It's something that comes from being with him. That our actions are then transformed and, and shaped by the character that's inside of us. We'll get to that in just a moment. So think about the record player for just a moment. If we were to look at the record player kind of like a metaphor, like Jesus just gave, we could say something like this, that God is a lot like the vinyl record with all that beautiful music on it, right? And we are a lot like the needle of the record player. The music that's shared between the record and the needle is kind of like our relationship with God. And the speakers that play the music is a lot like the witness and the testimony of our lives. When the needle stays connected in the grooves on the record, the music of that relationship between the needle and the record, it carries on uh, until we get to the very end and then we'd have to flip it over, right? But still, when it's connected, you hear the music and it keeps going. But when the connection is lifted, like we demonstrated earlier, the music stops. The sound waves that are experienced from the speakers are the evidence of the music that's shared between the record and the needle. Just like with the vine and the fruitful branches. The fruit that's produced is evidence that a branch is still connected to the vine, that there's actual health and vitality in that branch. But like when the needle is lifted from the record, the music stops. So too, a branch, when it's separated from the vine, can no longer 
be able to produce fruit. As we are connected with Jesus, the produce of our lives is the evidence for all the world to see in an actual real-life way the influence that Jesus has had on our lives in and through us. Now, let's go to the next slide. So there's this famous chapter by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 where he contrasts two different types of fruit. We're talking about fruit still. So the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, that's God's Holy Spirit, right? And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Next slide. The acts of the flesh. So this is the stuff that you do that's informed by that inner character. These are obvious according to the Apostle Paul. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and in case we didn't cover it, and the like. (laughs) I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not enter the kingdom of God. Next slide. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit Jesus is looking for, the fruit of the Spirit is Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen? So we have this contrast between two different natures. On one hand, we have the sin nature, and on the other, we have the nature of God's Holy Spirit. And the contrast is set up to show the difference between a life that's sourced from either sin and selfishness compared with a life that is sourced from the very nature of God, the third person of the Holy Spirit, or (laughs) third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So just like Jesus talks about in John 15, Let's bring this together. One branch is connected to the vine, the source that brings full, rich nutrients that makes it possible for the branch to really produce good fruit. And that brings glory and pleasure to the divine gardener, God the Father, compared with the other branch that is one that's removed, that doesn't remain attached to the vine. It withers and dies, and it bears the evidence of malnutrition and failing health. Sometimes when you're gardening, I'm not much of a gardener, but I've been told in different moments that this is kind of how it goes, that sometimes you'll have a branch that kind of breaks off, maybe because of a windstorm or some outside influence, it breaks off and it's just kind of dangling right there. And that's partly why it's not bearing fruit and it's kind of starting to wither up and die and that's why the gardener would come up and cut that one off sometimes in our lives there are things that happen 
that cause us to dangle a bit. Do they not? Now, the picture of the branch that doesn't bear fruit is that it's, it's sourcing, it's trying to source nutrition from within itself. And it's the picture, <laughs> it's the picture that it's trying to bear fruit on its own, on its own strength, sourced within itself and not sourced and attached to the vine. And that bears the fruit of, ultimately, death. The disciples who were at the Last Supper with Jesus were real people who were connected with Jesus and, by extension, were uh, invited to be people who are, we are invited to become people who are connected with Jesus. And we thrive as we remain connected with Jesus. If we continue to be sourced by the vine, nourished by his words, the evidence will be that we are like Jesus. But if we do not remain in Christ, we, you know, if we walk away and we try to produce fruit on our own, eventually we will see the fruit of the sin nature, that self-centered nature that ultimately leads us to death. So, here's the question. What can be done? How can we know if we've remained in Christ? According to Jesus, look at the fruit. But what if our fruit is not so good? What if our fruit is starting to look more like that fruits of the flesh that the Apostle Paul was talking about? What if the branches in our lives, the branch that is our life, is withering up like a dry husk and it's not what God intended for it to be? What can be done, friends? There are two things. Repent. Confess to God where you're at. He already knows. Uh, We have... Uh, In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Step two is reconnect. All throughout the scripture, we find that God is constantly calling for his people to return to him. To find themselves in him to be reconnected with him so i believe that as long as you have breath to breathe and that your heart is still beating i believe there is opportunity after opportunity for you to reconnect to jesus christ and in jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16 it says the lord says stand at the crossroads and look Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So this morning we've been exploring the big idea that we thrive as we remain connected with Jesus. To flourish means that, or to thrive means that you're living an abundant spiritual life that God intends for the people who are in his family to enjoy. And to remain in Christ means to be connected with him in a way where we experience the health and vitality that flows from the Holy Spirit. And that might look different for everyone. 
in some ways. But what it does mean is we are interacting with and embracing Jesus in our daily lives. So here are some key practices just for practical application for every believer that needs to be done so that we are fed and we produce fruit of the Spirit. Number one, I don't have it listed up here, I'm sorry. Number one is prayer. So talking with God. That doesn't have to be on a Thursday night, although, shameless plug, it's really cool if we all gather together in the name of Jesus and pray. But this could just be done when you're at home. Uh, If you are uh, fortunate enough to have a prayer closet like Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, that's cool. But just anywhere you are, if you can just talk with God, that's a really great start is prayer. Number two is reading and or hearing the scriptures. I know that, uh, you know, sometimes it's daunting uh, to sit down and read the Bible, but there's this beautiful thing called an app on your phone, or you could look it up on YouTube if you have a computer, or we will find you a way to listen to the Bible. I don't know, but just even just listening to the word of God and letting it wash over you and wash over your mind that is a huge help in helping you stay connected with Jesus. There's times when I don't, I, I know you think it's crazy if I'm too busy to sit down and crack a Bible, but sometimes when I've had my devotions to do, I just put it on the Bible app and play the scriptures and I listen. And it's a really great way of engaging with God. And number three, lest we forget especially in the wake of the season our world has been in for the last almost two years, we need to participate in godly community with other followers of Jesus. God did not design this faith experience to be a solo effort. Um, Yes, what is important is your relationship with Jesus, But what helps you grow in that relationship with Jesus is connection to other people. Because there are brothers and sisters in Jesus who either are behind you and, you know, they need to be brought forward, or there's people ahead of you who can pull you forward and say, hey, I've been struggling with that truth. I've experienced that. Let me help you in that area. Let me hold you accountable. Let me come alongside you so that you can have victory, so you can experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life. God gives us each other. You're not supposed to do it alone. You're not alone, friends. And I think that's the biggest attack of the enemy on the church today, is that there are a lot of people who think they can just do it alone. Or, oh, and I'm not dogging the whole online streaming thing whatsoever, but like, oh, I'll just watch church online. Friends, we are the gathered people. That's what makes us unique, is that we gather together in the name of Jesus, and we are together. That doesn't replace prayer. It doesn't replace your scripture reading and devotion. But we're meant to be together in unity. Amen? Okay. So, let me ask you this morning, as we come to the table... Go ahead and go to the next slide. We're going to um, we're going to take communion together, and this will be our closing. But 
my question for you as we come to Jesus and we remember all that he did for us. Um, Number one, if you're new here, I practice what's called open communion. So this is just a practical thing. If you are not a member of our church, you are still welcome to take communion with us. As long as you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you to please take the elements with us. Because just as God is present with us when two or more are gathered together, God is present with us as we take and remember his sacrifice for us.